Okay, it's a good Sunday to be here. We're starting a new series, second series of the year. This one's called Strange Things. We're going to talk about some things that some of us may consider strange. Today's topic is all is not what it seems. I don't know how many of you know this term, spontaneous generation, but this is a common belief up to maybe 150 years ago. To us, it seems a little strange, but the concept was that diseases, for example, would just pop up. Uh, these diseases that would affect us physically had no s significant source. They just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Again, it seems strange to us now, but most of history, mankind thought that diseases had no connection with um, unseen things. Um, until about 150 years ago, and this guy came along to show you a picture. Anybody know who this person is? Picture up, please. Anybody know who that is? Think milk. <laughs> yeah, Louis Pasteur. Uh, he was a French um, chemist and uh, microbiologist. All right? And he came along and he did some research and uh, he said, no, there is a connection to diseases and things that we see the effects of to things that we cannot see. Now, the amazing thing to me is the microscope was discovered in the 1600s. So microscopes have been around for hundreds of years, but no one had made a connection between what's not visible by the, with our eyes to what happens with disease and so forth. And so she said, no, 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 there are these microorganisms, they didn't call them that, microorganisms that you cannot see that affect and cause things to our bodies and, uh, and they, are, they don't just pop up and they can be transferred from person to person, sometimes through the air, sometimes through touch and other means. Before this, like in World War, uh, no, the Civil War, the doctors wouldn't wash their hands when they moved from one patient to another. So... He comes along and he says, most of us know him about, he, um, credited with pasteurization. Um, but he came along and said, no, there are things that we cannot see that affect what we can see. So I put on your outline. There is an invisible world or microscopic world that impacts this visible world. Now, we're all familiar with that the last two years, right? Um, there's something called COVID that you can't see with your visual eye, right? But it's had a huge impact on the visible world. And if we didn't use this, this kind of stuff much before, they've certainly been very popular in the last two years to use this stuff and to wash your hands and to wear a mask and all other things because we understand, we realize there's an invisible world that has a huge impact on our visible world. Now, back in Pasteur's day, it was called the germ theory of disease. The germ theory of disease. Now, the doctors and the scientists, they jumped on this. They understood it. They believed it. They started washing their hands and wearing gloves and all this kind of stuff. But the general population, what do you think the general population thought about this? They thought it was crazy. They didn't believe it. No, there's nothing invisible that's going to affect my visible world. The general population took a long time for them to, quote-unquote, catch on or to accept this belief. Now, today, it's common belief, right? We all understand this. We all believe this. 
that an invisible world of germs affect the physical world. Or we might say, it doesn't stay invisible, does it? So if you get some kind of uh, rash on your skin, uh, there's something causing that you can't see. You see the rash, and some of these things we cannot see, like COVID, can be dangerous. They can be life-threatening. They can kill us. And there's lots of other examples, all right? So we understand. Medically speaking, physically speaking, our, our, our bodies, that the invisible world of germs affects our visible world. Now, so why am I talking about this? Well, according to the Bible, that's what we come to study, right? The Bible, there's another invisible world that's impacting this visible world. Another invisible world impacting this visible world. And it doesn't just affect our health, our physical health. It affects basically everything. It affects us physically. It affects us emotionally. It affects us mentally. It affects our relationships. It can be life-threatening either to our relationships or certainly to our bodies. Now, the interesting thing is much of the world thinks this is what? They think this is crazy. Only those goofy religious people believe in that stuff, right? But most of us, if we look in a rear-view mirror, we've got evidence of this, don't we? We got evidence of us doing stuff that we can't explain, or things happening to us we can't explain, or happening to people we care about that we can't explain by just what we can see. And we look back on that stuff and we say, wow, how was I so confused, or how was I so deceived, or how was I, how did I so misunderstand what was going on? Put on your outline, how could I have been confused in my thinking? It's so obvious now. It was so obvious to other people then, but it wasn't to me. What was the cause of that? And now, or back then, I'm, I paid the price for this foolishness, for this confusion, for this uh, misunderstanding that I had, this kind of gone off the deep end sometime, which normally I wouldn't have done or normally I wouldn't have thought of. Think about it this way, though. <clears throat> We've all seen this in our loved ones, haven't we? We've seen them act in a weird way that, is confusing to us, and you would think they, they should know better. Doing things, they should know better. Uh, in a relationship, they should know better. That person's not good for them. So obvious to you, but not to them. Why? And you can think it even nationally or internationally. I'm thinking about, you know, there's this threat of war between Russia and the Ukraine. That doesn't make sense to me. How does it make sense to them? I don't know. So why? Why? Well, I want to <laughs> suggest to you that the Bible answers that for us. The Bible answers why people do crazy things. Nations do crazy things. People do stuff that they later say, I don't, I don't understand why I did that. <clears throat> now, the reason's not obvious, is it? The reason's not obvious. <clears throat> But ultimately, it often boils down to what I'm going to call a distortion of truth. If I knew back then what I should have known or what I know now, it would have been a lot easier. I wouldn't have made, done those dumb things. I wouldn't have done those foolish things. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been so confused. But somehow my thinking got distorted. My thinking got twisted. And 
now, it doesn't always happen to us. And there are certain people out there we can see that sometimes they, most of the time they just seem to have it all together. I call them emotionally healthy people. None of us are perfectly emotionally healthy, but some people, yeah, they don't, don't seem to get mixed up a lot. They don't seem to make, do stupid stuff a lot. Um, they just seem to be healthy. <clears throat> so, here's the question we're tackling. Why do things get so twisted, so confused in our heads and our hearts or emotions? Why? Why? So, I'm going to suggest a, an answer for you. Uh, in fact, I'm going to say Jesus gives us a lot of insight into this, quote-unquote, invisible world. So we're going to look first at what Jesus had to say. Now, most of us, if you're not a Jesus follower, um, you're still trying to figure this out, that's great. But those of us who are Jesus followers, we want to know what Jesus has to say about everything. So Jesus is going to give us some insight into this invisible world. Put it on the screen, please. There we go. Now, I'm going to warn you all, especially some of our folks, uh, that may be kind of eh, checking out Christianity and, and religious things. But for all of us, some of this information, if you call it information, is going to be a little bit disturbing. Some of it's going to be confusing. Some of it I don't even understand. So I'm going to be reading some things to you. And uh, you can have questions for me afterwards. I might not be able to help maybe answer them. But I, that's the foundation of what we're going to talk about, what's really important. So, Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching to a bunch of his followers, as well as some Jewish religious leaders, which weren't his followers. In fact, they were kind of antagonistic toward him. So, he has this mixed crowd he's talking to. And this is in John chapter 8. <clears throat> so, he addresses the believers first. He said to the people who believed him, you are truly my disciples if. Now, last week we said people will know you're my disciples by what? By your love for one another. But how do I know? I mean, if I'm showing love to other people, that's an indication to myself. But he gives us a, a way of judging our own spirituality, if you will. You're truly my disciples if you do what? Remain faithful to my teachings, which I interpret as understanding or believing his teachings and then once you understand them or believe them, to obey them or, or to follow them. So if I'm understanding and obeying or following, then I can call myself a disciple. <clears throat> and then we get to a verse that's pretty, uh, pretty well known. Uh, a lot of people use it in the secular world, and they don't really understand what Jesus is really saying. But here it is. Next verse is this. And you will know what? The truth. Hopefully you want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. So what, knowing the truth, what results? Well, the truth then will set you free. So what is he specifically talking about? He's just talking about general truth? No, 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 no. He's talking about truth about you and I, how we are related to God and how that relationship with God is destroyed by sin and it has to be fixed. So he says, when we know the truth, that Jesus came to suffer and die for us and rose from the dead, when we know that truth, it'll set us free from what he's going to call the slavery of sin. You're enslaved. It has power over you. Um, 
So when you and I become a, a Jesus follower, and if you, again, if you're not, we pray that today would be the day. But when you become a Jesus follower, you are set free from the penalty of sin. That means when you die, you get to go to be with, with uh, Jesus in heaven for eternity. So we're not penalized for that, all the sin we commit in, on this earth. But we're also set free from the power of sin. You and I, any given moment, as Jesus followers, can say no to sin. Now, we all get tempted, right? But by the power of God in me, I can always say no to sin. Somebody who's not a Jesus follower doesn't have that access to that power. So he's saying, if you know me, if you're a true Jesus follower, you're set free from the penalty and the power of sin. So you're really free. You're not enslaved to sin. You're not enslaved to the uh, stuff that you don't want to do. <clears throat> so, that's the believers. Then he's addressing the people that aren't Jewishly. Now, he's Jewish. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. Uh, and so, he's in that religious system of Judaism in the first century in Jerusalem. But he said, we, they replied to him, well, wait a minute, what, if, what are you talking about, slave, you know, uh, set free? Um, he said, we are descendants of Abraham. So, all Jews trace themselves back to Abraham. Said, we're descendants of Abraham, so we have never been slaves to anyone, which wasn't true. If you study Jewish history, uh, they were slaves to the Babylonians and other people. But anyway, they're claiming we're not slaves to anybody. What do you mean? You will be set free. Now, they didn't really want to know the answer, but that's what they often did. So Jesus is going to reply. So he says, I'll tell you the truth. All right? Everyone who sins, which means what? Everyone. <laughs> everyone sins. Does what's not, doesn't always do what's right. So everyone sins. And if you sin, then you're a slave to sin. Because you don't have the power not to do it. All of us at one point are in that situation. Before we became Jesus followers. So sin, evil, doing wrong, whatever you might call, want to call it. And we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks that our struggle with that word sin. Um, it controls you. If it didn't control you, you could not sin. Anybody here not sin? Okay. So even those of us Jesus followers still have to struggle with sin. <clears throat> then we're going to skip a couple of verses because it gets dialogue. It's, it's interesting. You can read it for yourself. We'll skip down to verse 42, and it says this. Jesus told them, if God were your father, so who was Abraham's father? God was. So if Abraham's your father, then God's your father. So if God's your father, you would love me. Why? Because I've come to you from God. I am God. So, or I'm Godly. So if you would love God, you would love me. He said, I'm not here on my own but he sent me. So you would be listening and you would be obeying, but that's not the case, right? So he goes on, says this. Why do you not understand what I say? So it goes back to even before obeying, they don't even seem to understand it. Uh, it's because you can't bear to hear my words. They were closed-minded. I got to thinking, um, sometimes I, I always do this. I tape football games and watch them later. And sometimes... I'll be in a crowd and people have seen the game already and they're going to give the score away. And so I go, no, 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 no. 
or somebody tells you a plot of a movie uh, or a TV show and you don't want to hear the No, 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 I don't want to hear it, right? That's what I picture with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Jesus is telling them the truth, but they don't want to hear it. And so then, <laughs> this next verse, Jesus really takes the gloves off. He, he, he tells it like it is. For you are children of your father, the what? Not Abraham. You're children of your father, the devil. And you love to do evil things he does. For example, he was a murderer from the beginning. Who came to Eve and deceived her? And as a result, she and Adam began death. See, it wasn't no death on earth till then. And so he was a murderer from the beginning. In fact, this is foreshadowing what they're going to do to Jesus, right? Because they're going to murder him. He, the devil, has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. He's the opposite of truth. In fact, he says, he's lied. Satan always lies. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character because Jesus is always truth. Satan or the devil is always lies. For he's a liar and the father of lies. So, he's saying to these religious leaders, your attitudes and your actions prove that you're not a child of Abraham because you're full of murder and hate and lies. So, your father is what? The devil because he's full of murder, hate, and lies. Now, I can imagine some of you saying, whoa, 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 what are you doing talking about this devil, Satan person? You know, with horns and all that stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. He's real, but he doesn't look like that. <clears throat> so you can question if you want if there's a literal devil or Satan. But I want you, especially if you're a Jesus follower, Jesus believed in the devil. Right? And we're going to look at a couple other instances. Jesus believed in the devil. Later on, Jesus is talking about he's the good shepherd and the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. On the flip side, or the contrary, there's a guy called the thief. And this is in John 10.10. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's that sound like? This devil character, right? The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. So when stealing, killing, and destroying is going on, it's, we would use the word evil or purposes of Satan. But me, God, Jesus, my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life in contrast to this thief. Now, so what is the major tactic or weapon of this devil to get us to be confused? and to do things we normally wouldn't do, and so forth. I'm going to suggest to, us, to you it's this. Means by which the enemy destroys is through deception. Now, if Satan really had was horns and was ugly, would anybody follow him? Nobody would follow him, right? Well, a few people would, just out of curiosity, whatever. But he doesn't want to appear ugly. Nobody wants to follow ugly. So what does he do? He doesn't just... If, if you see a complete falsehood, you're not going to f- believe that or follow that, are you? So he kind of twists it. He just could, I call it half-truths, right? We can believe a half-truth. We're not going to believe a complete lie, but a half-truth we, we can believe. Well, half-truth is what? It's a half a lie. 
And so he wants to deceive us in our marriages, for example. Um, you know, not so much anymore, but I used to think, because my wife did something or she didn't do something, she doesn't love me. Well, my rational moments, I realized she loves me, but she did something that I didn't like or didn't do something I wanted her to do. And so I, if she really loved me, she would do that. Well, no, that's a deception. That's a twist. Um, Satan wants to destroy our families. Uh, he wants to destroy churches. Uh, one thing has happened during COVID. A deception is some people haven't been in a church building for two years, right? Their lives haven't fallen apart necessarily. In fact, their lives might be fine. And so they believe the deception, well, I, I, I can be a Jesus follower without participating in a, in a church body. Well, that's a deception. That's not true, but it's easy to believe they've been deceived. So we think what is wrong is right, what is right is wrong. So later in Jesus' last night of his life, he's talking to his disciples, and I'm just going to pick out one verse because it really stands out to me. What he says to these, these disciples, this is in John chapter 14, he just finished saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and then you can come to be where I am. Very famous, John 14. And then he says this, I don't have much more time to talk to you. I, yeah, time's about up. I'm gonna, it's about the end. Why? Because the ruler of this world approaches. Ruler of this world. Who approaches? It's not God. Who approaches? This evil one, right? And Jesus describes him as ruler of this world. Hmm. But he has no power over me. Satan had no power over Jesus, but he thought he did. <laughs> In fact, he couldn't, but he kept trying, right? Because this is fundamental. If Satan could have gotten Jesus to follow him, in fact, we're going to look at one of his temptations, then he would have won. Now, again, I don't understand why he's described as ruler of this world. So beginning Jesus' ministry, after his baptism, he's off in the wilderness. After 40 days of fasting, Satan comes to him and tempts him. Most of you know that story. Three temptations. I just want to look at the, the second of the two, three. This is in uh, Luke's recording. <clears throat> the devil, again, Jesus believed in the devil, took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Did you, did you get that? All the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. That is power, isn't it? So Satan does this. He shows him. He has this power to do this. And then he offers him something. He said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said. I can give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because, notice this, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. What? They are mine to give to anyone I please? So Jesus is going to say, no, you don't. You don't have that power. You don't have that. Is that what Jesus says? No. Jesus doesn't contradict him. Jesus doesn't argue with him. So maybe this is true. Again, it's disturbing, upsetting. I don't quite understand. But, even though it is disturbing, I think it may be helpful. 
to you and I. And let me, let me explain what I mean. We see relationships that at one time were great just deteriorate. Sometimes marriages. Um, you marry this great person for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Your life is good. You're not perfect, but life is good. And all of a sudden, it changes, and the marriage falls apart. Or maybe you're a parent, and your child grows up in a loving home. You did the best job you could. You, you involve them in spiritual activities and so forth. And, you know, they turn 18, 20 years old and just go off the deep end. Maybe that helps explain some of this craziness in our relationships and, and so forth. Disturbing, but maybe helpful on your outline. Helpful to understand the craziness in our world. Explains why temptation is a struggle for you and I. It's always interesting. My temptations are different than yours. Things that you, can, you, you just seem to defeat you, eh, no bother at all to me. Things that defeat me don't seem to be any bother to you. This, again, disturbing, but maybe it's helpful for me to understand why. So, 30 years or so after Jesus' resurrection, uh, a guy by the name of Paul comes along, and he's what we call a missionary, and he's going to around uh, the Mediterranean, starting churches and telling people about Jesus. And he writes letters to these churches, and that makes up part of our, our Bibles, a lot of our New Testament. In fact, about half of it Paul wrote. <clears throat> and one of the letters he wrote is to a church in Ephesus called Ephesians. There's a lot of neat stuff in there about husbands love your wives and, and children obey your parents is in there. Actually, that's how chapter 6 starts and so forth. So a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of relationship stuff in there. And then you get to near the end of the letter, and he, and he gets on this, this, this topic. He says, put on the full armor of God. What does he mean? Precepts that are like, the, his, God's precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavenly armed soldier. Okay? So that's pretty heavy duty stuff, right? God's precepts. Why do we need to put those on? So they'll be able to be successfully stand up against what? Who? The schemes, strategies, and deceits of, there's our word again, right? The devil. Paul certainly believed in a devil. And he said, we're in a battle with the devil. Now, those of us who are Jesus followers realize that ultimately he's defeated, right? The resurrection of Jesus defeated Satan. He's still fighting, but he's ultimately defeated. But he distorts and he twists things. I thought about some areas of life that get distorted or twisted by the devil. Um, for example, appetites. We all have natural appetites. Eating, for example, right? Natural appetite. You have to eat. It's one of the joys of life is eating, right? Most of us enjoy eating. But it, most people, I don't say most, yeah, most statistics would tell us most people have abused their appetite, physical appetites, right? Uh, Obesity is on the rise in our, our country. I think it's maybe over 50% of the people. Now, eventually, it become addiction. Most of those people are addicted to some form of food or all food. Of course, there's other addictions as well. Appetites are great. can be twisted. Desires. Oh, a desire to get ahead financially in my life, desire to do other things. 
But then you can get to the point where it gets twisted into greed, getting every single dollar I can by whatever means I can. Again, desire becomes distorted. Uh, appealing. Oh, you bought, you bought a new car or you you know, bought something else or you went to Florida on a vacation. Uh, that's appealing. That's, that's fun. I'm glad you can enjoy that. But then I can, that can be twisted. Well, why didn't I get to go to Florida? <laughs> enjoy the warm weather. All right. Uh, appreciation. Appreciate beauty. Um, as a guy, I appreciate a, a, a beautiful woman. Now, guys, if you're married especially, if your wife asks you if that's a pretty, beautiful woman, say, not as pretty as you, okay? That's the, uh, a trick question. Don't ever answer that. <laughs> um, but, you know, then you get to the place where lust, I want it. I've got to have that person. So, Paul says, Satan's got a plan. He's got a strategy. He's got seams, uh, schemes. This is, this is a battle. This is real. So he goes on. Now, I believe in the devil. I believe he's a single entity. I don't believe he's omnipresent like God. So my belief is Satan's probably never bothered me. I'm not important enough for him to bother with. Jesus, of course, is, and maybe you, but not me. But see, that's not the whole issue, is it? If Satan could only be one person, he could only be tempted one person at a time, most of us would be great, wouldn't we? For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. <clears throat> Seems like that, doesn't it? Because we're trapped in the physical world. But he said, no, that, that's not our fight. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers, this dark world, against evil spirits or demons in the heavenly places. So Satan has a whole army. Now that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So the evil influence can be everywhere. And we all can be tempted, and we all can be, the truth can be distorted or twisted in all our thinking. The question is, do you believe what Paul just said here? And do you believe what Jesus said? That there's an invisible world, spiritual world, that impacts this visible world. Now, some of us believe that. Some of us have believed that for a long time. Some of us are not sure. And some of us probably are pretty skeptical. Don't, don't believe it. I believe all of us have said or thought this at some point in life. That's just evil. That's just pure evil. So how do you explain it? And there's lots of illustrations. I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, 20 plus years ago, group of, I think, I don't know if there's any women involved, a group of men, a group of people got together and planned for multiple years. This wasn't just an emotional response. Planned for multiple years and somehow in their twisted minds believed this was a good thing to do. I'm going to fly an airplane into this building. I'm going to kill myself, everybody else on the plane, and kill thousands of people in these buildings. We call it 9-11. How do you explain that? It's just pure evil. Well, 3,000 some people, I think, died that day. Let's do a little history here. Back in the late 1930s, in Europe, uh, the Germans and Hitler decided that 
somehow in their minds that these people called Jews were a subclass of humans, weren't even human, they didn't deserve to exist. So we're going to come up with this plan and we're going to spend multiple dollars building concentration camps and ovens that are going to, uh, instead of pouring water on people, is going to pour gas on people and they're going to kill men, women, and children by the millions. A killing machine. This wasn't some rash event. This went on for years. It involved thousands and tens of thousands of people. How do you explain that? And that's just probably the most dramatic example of genocide. Genocide's been going on all through history. Some African tribe will kill another African tribe just because they're a different tribe, different genetics. Well, let's think back about 400 years ago when uh, European countries are exploring the world and they come across these African nations and these people with different colored skin and, and less developed uh, societies. And, hey, this is a good idea. Why don't we enslave these people and force them to work for us? And this went on for hundreds of years. Somebody, lots of people thought this was a good idea. How do you explain that? And more recently, we can think about, well, not more recently, but we are aware of it more recently. How about sex trafficking? That's a form of slavery. People think, this is a good idea. I'm going to find these young ladies and I'm going to enslave them and force them into sex trafficking or sex trade to make money for me. Who thought that was a good idea? How do you explain that? Child pornography and I would put abortion in there. And, uh, there's just so much evil. How do you explain it? In fact, I'll put that on the screen, that question. How, without a devil, how do you explain all that evil? There's an invisible world, according to Jesus, according to Paul, all the New Testament writers, there's an invisible spiritual world impacting our physical world. Should we fear it? No, we shouldn't fear it. Jesus follows, we shouldn't fear it. But we need to be aware that his agenda is to deceive us and ultimately to destroy us. So for a follow-through or what to do, here's my suggestion. Since we can't see the invisible world, pray this prayer, especially in those difficult situations when it seems like you're batting, you know, batting your head against the wall with a, in a relationship. Understand, and I'm not battling flesh and blood. There's something else, something real. So God, please help us see as you see. Because what you and I cannot see can hurt you and I in our relationships. Uh, we'll continue this next week with a specific area where we often are deceived. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this concept or this belief or this understanding that there is a evil spiritual world headed up by an entity we call the devil is Satan, and it's real. And his whole purpose is, is to steal, kill, and destroy. First, we need to be aware of it, and then we need to stand against it. 
So God, help us to see as you see, where we can see deception and we can understand truth. Anyone who's not a believer, um, Satan has deceived you into believing that you don't need Jesus or you don't, you're not separated from God or maybe you don't believe there's even a God. How do you explain such evil without an evil one? And if there's an evil one, there must be a holy one. We pray that you would, today would be the day we step across that line. I understand. And to fight this evil one, I need the holy one. And God is inviting you into his family. Accept his gift of salvation. Confess your sins. That you're a sinner. And you need salvation. God, we thank you that you love us enough to send your son to die for us so that Satan would be defeated. We thank you that we have victory in your name. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.